Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Today's reading is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let us pray. Sovereign and loving God, our Father, thank you for your living word and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today we gather as a family rooted in Christ Jesus and his saving grace. We humbly ask for your blessing and inspiration for our Pastor Kyle as he shares today's Bible message. Hear our prayer that he be gifted with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and discernment of your precious truth. In Jesus' name always, amen. Good morning. Uh, the first time uh, that I went to Guatemala, um, maybe 14 years ago, and, and the very first church that I preached in was in the nearby city to our missions partners of, of Quiche. Uh, the church, obviously, as we're driving up to it, was in the slum area of the city. Uh, the streets around it were unpaved and rutted. Uh, the houses and buildings were somewhat dilapidated. Uh, the church itself uh, had dirt floors. Uh, the walls were so old you could see large cracks and sunlight coming through the sides. Uh, as I preached, the people were filled with warmth and responsiveness to the Word of God. It was, it was a joy to be there with them. After uh, the message and, and a time of praying with the people, uh, I was in my seat and the pastor continued. He was giving some announcements and they took an offering and I didn't understand what they were saying. I wasn't paying a lot of attention to that until when they were done taking the offering, they put it all together and came up 
it was for me. I was mortified. It had never entered my mind that these, everyone there knew I had much more than any of them, that out of their poverty, they, they were giving an offering to me. I didn't know what to do or say. I, I was trying to say, no, I can't take it. And their response was, but we've given this for you. We, we want you to take it. So I, I felt I had to, and I assured them that before I left the country, that I would find a need where that would be given to serve. We see the same heart described in the passage before us in the Macedonian church. People whose hearts are open to the Lord and generous toward Him, even though they were impoverished. The Macedonian churches would include churches that you've heard of in Scripture, the, the church in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Those are the churches that are included in this description. The offering that is described was a relief offering that the Apostle Paul had organized among the Gentile churches to send to the Jewish believers who were poor and in need in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul's intention was not only to, to meet the real need there, but he also was seeking to build unity between the Jewish and Gentile churches, which had such uh, distinct cultural differences that it was a challenge at times in the church for them to be unified. Uh, the message in this chapter is quite clear. Uh, Paul wants the readers to follow the example of generosity that was set by the Macedonian churches. But before we examine their generosity, we need to ask, why is it called an act of God's grace? Uh, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 6, and this, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And then again in verse 7, see that you excel in this act of grace. Why, why was their giving called an act of God's grace? Their generosity was a result of hearts that truly were given to God. Verse 5, uh, they gave not as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Uh, chapters 8 and 9 form a new section of this letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. 
Uh, but these chapters flow logically from all we've seen in the previous chapters. Where the glorious realities of the gospel compel us to be wholehearted toward God. And this means, we saw last week, that our hearts are wide open to serve God and to serve one another. And so for the Macedonian believers, a wide open heart that was given to God was expressed as a generous heart. They looked at generosity as being obedient to the will of God. Verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then as a result of giving themselves to the Lord, they, they gave generously by the will of God. They saw this to them as God's will for them. This is what God wanted from them. They, they felt this was the appropriate response of being people who truly did love the Lord as, as people who wanted to be wholehearted toward him. It appears that Paul didn't even ask them to participate. Verse 4 says, They begged him earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul knew their poverty. And his response when they came to him wanting to participate might have been similar to what I felt when that Guatemalan church brought the offering to me, that I know your hearts are there, but I know your poverty. You're just not able to do this. Other churches can do that. But they, they begged earnestly for the favor. They pleaded with Paul that they would be able to participate. Because to them, this wasn't, just giving to help a need, this was them honoring God. This was the expression of their heart before a God who had been generous to them. And so it was a privilege. They, they begged for the favor of participation. And it's interesting, the, the word translated favor is just a variation of the word already translated grace. So the the grace of God through their offering, the same word is the favor of taking part in it. Generosity was a, an expression of the grace of God that was working in them and working through them. Now we, we normally consider the grace of God to be something that happens to us, which is very true. The, the grace of God first is God's action to us. And we, we see this throughout Scripture, a, a passage I want us to look at in Romans 3, which, which captures well the biblical intention of it, of what is this grace, why do we need God's grace? Romans 3.23, all has sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have this common sinful condition of sinners who not only fall short, we were under the judgment of a holy God. 
and we are justified, which means declared innocent. So we're all sinners, but somehow we are declared innocent by by grace, by something we don't deserve, as a gift. God gives us a grace through the redemption, which means the payment. The payment that is in Christ Jesus. So the, the central message of the entire Bible is that we who are sinners, and sin must be judged by a holy God, we, we are also those whom God has created and whom he deeply loves. And in his love, God sent his son, God became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could go to the cross and die in our place so that he could take our guilt away and be the redemption, be the payment that satisfies God's holiness and allows him to express his love. The grace of God saves us. The grace of God alone. And if you're here thinking that oh, you need God's help, but, but if you're a good person, then God's going to allow you into his kingdom. The Bible says no. The Bible says that's not true. That can never happen. You can never be good enough because we've all sinned and fallen short. It is the grace alone of God that can save what Christ has done for us that we in faith receive we believe he died for us and so we call out Lord would you save me would your grace come to me I need your gift to save me the grace of God is first something that happens to us but God's grace continues in his ongoing activity in our lives. The grace of God is not simply manifested on that wondrous day that we receive the gift of salvation. The grace of God is now just getting started. It is now beginning to work in our lives. For God's grace is that ongoing personal activity of the person of God in our lives. He's not standing watching how we're doing with this religious thing, this gospel thing, this church thing. He comes within us and changes us. He, the Bible says, transforms us. Think of two different children having a need. One is a child that fell down the playground, scraped their knee. So they're crying and they come over and you brush it off and you tell them it's going to be okay and in a minute they're, they're all right and they're off again and playing. That's how a lot of people think of God's grace. Yeah, you've done some bad things. You need God's help. So he makes you feel good and kind of rubs it and says, I'm for you. Now just go back to what you're doing. That is not the grace of God. That is not the gospel. The gospel is like uh, another child, a, a child who doesn't even know who his parents are, who lives in the street and has become more like an animal than a person and lives by whatever they can grab or steal. 
They've lost all bearings and sense of morality or right or wrong. They are desperately just surviving. Life is about surviving. And whatever gets in the way has to be cast aside. And someone comes and sees that child. The child doesn't trust them, doesn't know them, but they commit themselves and they, they take that child out of their poverty and they care for them and love them and even though it takes a long time for that child to learn how to act, to even learn how to be thankful, that child is adopted and brought into the home and bears their name and their commitment to that child is un ending. That is the grace of the gospel. That is what Christ has done for us. It is not just the rescue to send us back to what we were doing. It is the extraction of us from a hopelessness and a commitment to us forever to make us new. And what are we being transformed into? We've already seen in this letter, we are, bit by bit, we are being transformed to the image and character of Christ himself. That we would share his character, that we would share his heart for the Father and for one another. And I, I think we, we can agree with this. A transformation that is changing us to, to be like Christ, that's not a subtle transformation. There's nothing small about our being changed by grace to bear the image of the glorious Son of God. There is nothing subtle in that. There's nothing partial in it. There are not compartments of, well, here I'll be like Christ, and here I want to be like I, I choose. To be like Christ is all-encompassing. Generosity flows out of gospel transformation because the gospel saturated with generosity is saturated with giving. It is the message of giving. God the Father gave His only Son Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. The Holy Spirit comes in to give life freedom. Every empowerment and bit of wisdom that we need. The gospel is an expression of the generosity, the giving nature of God. So Paul repeatedly calls their generosity to fellow believers an act of God's grace. 
because it was the manifestation that they were people who had received grace. Grace that so transformed them that they were compelled from within to do whatever they could to serve the gospel and to care for those around them. Their hearts were wide open to their God and how he would lead them. And so what should we learn specifically then about their example of grace lived out. And I'll mention four, four statements about it for those of you taking notes, which may be none of you, but it somehow just feels good, the idea that, wow, I'm, I'm speaking and they're just, wait, let me get that. What do you say? No, that's... I'm not sure that's a spiritual response, it's just, I would just ask this, if you take notes, never throw it away in a trash can in the church. <laughs> no, wait till you get home. There's nothing more crushing to the soul find your notes in the trash can right at the door before you left. So wait till you get home for that. Now, if you're really considerate of your pastor, you, you just take a casual family photo of you standing in the kitchen in front of the refrigerator where it's posted. The notes are posted on the refrigerator with a magnet, and you just happen to have a picture there and posted it several times on Instagram. Just extra thoughts. What should we learn? Getting back to Scripture, what should we learn? by the Macedonians, example of grace lived out. First, their circumstances didn't keep them from generosity. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The word translated affliction carries a sense of being squeezed. We all know what that feels like. Problems squeezing your life. Severe affliction. Or we could just say life was hard. And we know what, what that's like. When life is hard, we have a tendency to turn inward, to pull away, maybe from your small group or even from church itself. We, we kind of pull back conversation and interaction. We can just be inwardly focused on self-pity, how miserable we are, how bad it is. We can, we can even drift into a laxness with the truths of God that we otherwise would say we know and believe and, and treat our hardship as an excuse to sin because life is so hard that we deserve 
not to be as committed as we normally would be. There are, there are a lot of responses we can have to life being squeezed that, that we would not call wholeheartedly toward our Lord, which are not opening our heart wide, but actually hardship, when it squeezes us, can, can start to close in our openness to the things of God. But for the Macedonians, their response was the opposite. Their life was being squeezed. And rather than pull in, they pressed into serving. They pushed themselves into it. They pleaded with Paul, we want to be a part. Perhaps it might have <clears throat> even been in the recognition that they needed to respond in an opposite way to how they might have been tempted. But whatever the, the thinking of it, their heart was, we are going to <clears throat> press into what it means to love God with all our heart. Not just saying it to one another, we're going to find how we can do it. Verse 2 describes affliction as a test, the severe test of affliction. God uses affliction to test or reveal our hearts. Uh, we can have a sense of our maturity, of our love for God. We can have a sense of progress and Affliction comes to help us see, well, how, how much do I really love God? How much maturity has taken root in my life? And afflictions can reveal that roots are deep. Or affliction can reveal perhaps that uh, our faithfulness was because God had kind of stilled the waters. And we like that. And we're not being challenged too, too much. You may think, well, I'm in affliction. Is God testing me? Well, in one sense, every affliction, yes, is testing. Every affliction is revealing. Do we love God fully or not? You can only squeeze out of an orange one thing. Orange juice. You, you can't squeeze apple juice out of an orange. You can only squeeze out what was already in there. So our responses in affliction when we're being squeezed, it's, it's pushing out what's already in that we can see what's in our hearts. So if affliction is a test thinking to your present or recent afflictions, what would be your grade? What was revealed about your heart for God? Wonderfully, grace is not just something that comes to save. Grace, grace is the ongoing personal act of God. And so if if your grade was maybe not as high as you would hope, the grace of God is bountiful, abundant, 
to lift and to take you to what God desires. The second statement we can say about their example in generosity was <clears throat> their financial condition didn't keep them from generosity. Their affliction didn't keep them and neither did their financial condition for they not only had a severe test of affliction, they were in extreme poverty. The Macedonians were not just struggling to make ends meet. They were dirt poor. Extreme poverty. There was no excess. There wasn't even enough. Extreme poverty. The grace of God in extreme poverty overflowed, overflowed with wealth of generosity. For generosity is not an amount given. Lots of churches were participating in this offering and it may have been that the Macedonian churches in terms of amount gave by far the smallest but their generosity was great because generosity isn't amounts generosity is what does it express about our hearts generosity is the motivation that is compelling our actions toward God we see this beautifully described uh, in Mark chapter 12, in verses 41 to 44, uh, we read an account of Jesus' ministry. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury which was in the temple in Jerusalem and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more. than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The widow was more generous, obviously not because of amounts. She was more generous because of the heart that let go of those two copper coins. It wasn't the size of the coins. It was what was in the heart that let them go. If you don't give because you think it's too small, and that's what's kept you from being generous because you're thinking it's, it's so small, what difference would it make? There, two concerns I, I would give to you of this. The first is, is it really pride that 
you don't have much and you think your offering's so small and you feel bad out of pride because you're thinking what other people are giving. You're thinking that people you know live in bigger houses, well, they must be giving a lot. <laughs> don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that wealth makes generosity. So don't allow pride to cause you to think it's too small. And neither, don't allow, don't allow lack of faith to think that it doesn't make a difference. See, in both cases, we're not looking toward the Lord. We're not looking toward the Lord in a gratitude that we're going to do what we can because we love Him. Looking to the Lord, believing that anything in His hands... Something wondrous is going to happen because it's God's hands. We're speaking of the one who spoke the worlds into existence. Who in one moment, all of the amazing intricacy and glory and diversity and wonder of the entire universe poured forth out of nothing. What can he do with your small thing? The Macedonians didn't allow circumstances or financial condition to keep them from hearts of generosity. Third, the Macedonians gave sacrificially. Verse 3. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. So out of their heart. This was not peer pressure. It was their desire. According to their means. They, they probably gave much less than others. But actually it was beyond their means. Because they couldn't afford it. It, it was out of their, their want. Rather than their abundance. The abundance was in the heart. Not in the means. What they gave to the Lord was not out of the surplus. After paying all the bills and seeing how much is left, and God can have something, neither was it, well, I'll wait for the dust to settle. And then when things are figured out, then, then we'll think about giving. Sacrifice means we put God first. That's the point of verse 5. And, and this, their giving was not as we expected, but they gave themselves First to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Sacrifice means we are, we're making decisions based upon looking to God and, and what would please Him. What is, what is a decision that shows my heart is wide open to my God? Uh, a number of years ago, a family in our church had received an inheritance and they brought a gift unexpected to us of several hundred thousand dollars. It was by far the biggest gift we've ever received, all in one check. It was when we were starting the Family Life Center. It was a, a huge benefit in, in moving that project forward. You know, we, we were thankful for the generosity of, of what they did. It, it was a blessing to us. 
It's interesting. It was several months, maybe even a year later. They had already given several hundred thousand dollars. They came back with another check for a few tens of thousands, saying, we withheld from God. They wanted to do something, but their siblings, who also claimed to be Christians, were spending money right and left. And they, they, they had originally had a sense of what they should do, and then they pulled back on it because they wanted to do things too. And God wouldn't let it go because obviously it's spoken to them. Now, it wasn't as though when they gave the check, we were saying, um, is this all? <laughs> we were filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. The issue was their hearts and God. What had God spoken to them? For them at that time, what was God's desire? And they had given out of an abundance wonderfully. They could have done all kinds of other things. But they hadn't given sacrificially as God wanted. And in his grace, he didn't let them go. And I'm sure right now they're thankful they came twice. In Mark 12, with Jesus, with the widow... It says he watched what everyone gave. Kind of interesting. Jesus just sitting there. I think we might have some complaining if we you know, did that. You know, the offering box will be here and one of the pastors will be sitting there each week. <laughs> or maybe we just do a clothesline walking row by row. Just, you know, just pin it up. You know. Jesus was watching. He also knew. No one else, no one else there knew. Just a, a little old woman throwing something in. Jesus knew her condition. Jesus knew what it meant for her to do that. Jesus knew her sacrifice. Jesus knew her heart. <clears throat> Which is why it was placed in scripture, which is why that poor widow with one penny in the offering is still touching the hearts of God's people. Today, that, that's just one way God can bring much out of little. They gave despite condition of circumstances, of finances. They gave sacrificially. And, and fourthly, they gave out of joy. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. Forgetting the offering part, just, just the, the placing of Abundance of joy between severe affliction and extreme poverty. And in the middle of that, abundance of joy. That tells us, we, we, we now know where did their joy come from. It, it came from Christ. It came from the gospel. Biblical joy 
is a heart that overflows regardless of circumstances. One more passage I want us to look at, uh, a passage that uh, a sermon I heard preached on it a number of years ago just has stayed with me. And this is a passage I've gone back to innumerable times just speaking to my own soul. Habakkuk 3, verse 17 to 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. So what we mean in an agricultural society is everything is going wrong. Though all of this be true, verse 18, yet I will rejoice. How? In the Lord. I will take joy. I'm not waiting for it to, to descend. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If we have the gospel, which means we have the person of Christ, which means we have the spirit whom he sent. If we have the person of God, how can we not think we don't have an abundance of reason for joy? For the gospel is the great joy of our hearts. When our joy is in Christ, there is an abundance to overflow. And if our joy is in Christ, then our lives become fruitful in all seasons. And so not only the widow, but the Macedonian churches are still serving the people of God 2,000 years later. So let's close this, or as one pastor, a friend of mine says, let's land this plane. <laughs> kind of like that. Let's, and you're saying, yes, Lord, land the plane, land the plane. <laughs> Lord, don't let it circle, don't let it circle. <laughs> so what's left is how will we follow the example of the Macedonians, our brothers and sisters in Christ? Verse 7 but as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, and knowledge, and all earnest, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. We can excel in many ways, but we all have areas that, that need growth. And he wants us to know generosity is one of them. Because generosity is, it, it's not putting money in something. It is the expression of our hearts. It's, it's our lifestyle. It's how we think and live. Generosity is not just about even money. Generosity is just that grace in, giving out. Grace flowing in, giving out. It is holding loosely and seeking how can we bless and give joy and serve. It's Money has to be a part because it's so big in our lives. We have to face that. But generosity is far beyond giving of money. Generosity reveals if God 
compels us more than the world pulls us. And if our possessions belong to us, then our heart doesn't belong to God. Do you treat giving as an act of grace or do you treat giving as an act of you? It's what I decide. And there's some truth in that. But have you ever asked God for his direction? And this is something teens, children, learning to to be generous starts now. Just as learning to read the Bible, learning to pray, learning to serve in the church, that, that starts young. So giving and generosity should be part of the lives of our children. It Generosity is important. It, it, it starts as soon as they have anything to be generous with. These things are not just for adults. It's for all who love God. And let me end with this. Let me land with this encouragement. Like the Macedonians, your generosity has affected other churches. Numbers of times. I've been told by pastors in Belarus where they tend to be inward focused because they're trying to survive. Numbers of times I've had pastors say, we've started supporting or helping this rural church. We've done this. Because we've seen your generosity to us. And that's made us think, if that church, people who haven't met us, if they would give to us year by year. How can we not do that for those near us? So take joy in what God is already doing and let us continue in doing good. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise for Jesus Christ and his gospel. We give you praise for that which is the wealth of our hearts, the abundance in our soul. And we ask that by your grace, you would would help each of us to see what does it mean for us in this season to be generous people? What does it mean for us to have hearts wide open for the grace that comes in to be quickly shared in every way that we can? Lead us in this For your son Jesus' namesake, amen.